remain standing, uh, please do so. Either way, I would invite you to take a Bible and uh, turn to a couple of passages of Scripture. We want to look at two verses out of Deuteronomy chapter 31. That's on page 172, if you'd like to use a Bible from the church. And then, holding your spot in Deuteronomy 31, also turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll read verse 5. That's on page 1009. First, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6, 7, and 8. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with all you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. For there is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And we're grateful, Father, that it never expires. It is living and active. And we would pray that as we consider these two portions of your word that we've just read, that the very Spirit of God who pinned them through Moses and the writer of Hebrews would, would etch these words and the truths of these words in our hearts, uh, that we would behold wonderful things from your word, that you would change us in our time together in your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where we're taking four weeks this month, and we are considering the importance of God's presence in our lives. Christmas, Christmas, the arrival and birth of Jesus has a point to it. The point of Christmas is the presence of God. We considered that last week as we began these four weeks together looking at the presence of God as, a, as the gift of Christmas. Last week we began by, well, we, we surveyed the whole Bible last week. 
we, st- we read a portion of the third chapter of the Bible, and uh, we read a portion of the second to the last chapter of the Bible. We learned last week that we were made to live in and enjoy the presence of God. That was the aim of God's creating us, that we would live in his presence and enjoy living in his presence. And yet, the portion that we read in Genesis chapter 3 catches us up to the storyline where Adam and Eve, mankind, were removed from living in the presence of God. The insurrection of Adam and Eve resulted in their banishment from the presence of God. And and yet, by the time we read the second to the last chapter of the Bible, God had 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 a people, uh, and 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 that people safely. Uh, returned to live in and enjoy the presence of God. And what we discovered in between, what accounts for the restoration of the opening chapters, mankind is banished from the presence of God, and then the final chapters, God, uh, man is restored to live in the presence of God What happened in the meantime, in the middle part of the pages of Scripture, is that Jesus Christ arrived. Jesus Christ is the agent who provides the way for any and all to turn to him. And as a result of turning and trusting in him, we can once again live in and enjoy the presence of God. All who turn to Jesus, even this morning, all who turn from themselves and turn from their own efforts and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ can claim the joy of living in the presence of God right here this morning and throughout all eternity. The sermon's not done. In fact, I hadn't even moved past the introduction yet. But I would just say this. Turn to Jesus. Return to Jesus. Keep turning to Jesus. Now, what I want to to consider this morning is the significant difference that the presence of God makes in our daily lives. Our hearts, our souls cannot cannot function well in life without the presence of God in our lives. Let me just add as a sidebar, we mentioned this last week, but it's helpful to to regroup and revisit this. Uh, When I'm speaking of the presence of God, on the one hand, the scriptures describe the presence of God is that God is present everywhere all the time. But the Bible speaks of the presence of God in another sense as well. Not just that presence that is everywhere all the time, 
But the Bible speaks of the presence of God, and this is how we're primarily going to think about it this morning, in a special way. God's relational presence, a, a distinctly different kind of presence that God takes up residence within or near his people. And it is that kind of presence of God that you and I need in our hearts and souls for us to functionally live well. Long before Christ arrived and decisively established the presence of God in the lives of his people, there are a hosts of what I'm going to label previews throughout the Old Testament. There's a thousand places we could stop, but I decided to stop at Deuteronomy 31 this morning. Our reading from Deuteronomy 31 gives us a glimpse of the practical, life-altering relevance of God's presence in the life of his people. And then we tagged onto that because it's really stressing the same point. It's just a restatement in another way. Uh, our reading from Hebrews in the New Testament shows us that what was previewed in the Old Covenant is still in place in an even more magnified way in the New Covenant. What I, what I want us to take away this morning amidst all of the hubbub about Christmas, is that in considering from this Old Testament passage, it provides us a preview of God's presence that arrives most decisively at Christmas time. But, but, it's, but it's present throughout the Old Testament in a provisional way. And the importance of God's special relational presence in our lives is of practical importance to how we live. The presence of God has relevance, enduring, crucial relevance to how we think, how we feel, and how we choose to live our lives. Now, let me, let me hover over Deuteronomy for a little bit and, and provide some sense of the context. We just kind of jumped in midstream and started reading. What's up with that? Well, uh, let me try to orient us, um, particularly with the last week we read in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve were banished from the presence of God. And, and they, were, they were justly judged by being removed from God's presence. That was an important facet of the judgment that they had received for rebelling against God. Now, God could have left things just right there. But he didn't. Even before he technically banished them from the garden, God began making promises that, that, that the aim of creation, God 
and man dwelling together, man living in the presence of God. The aim of creation would be restored. But God did more than, than offer promises about something indefinitely occurring in the future. God began to, to, uh, uh, to, 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 to provide a provisional uh, movement of his presence in the lives of his people. The Lord was with his people. As we read further through Genesis and Exodus and making our way up into Deuteronomy, we, we begin to see this pattern that the Lord began to draw people to himself. Through his word, received through faith, that is believing what God promised and said in his word. God began creating a people for himself. This is a gracious thing of God. This is a merciful thing of, of God. This is a loving thing of God. God began to create a people for himself. And, he be, and the people whom he created for himself was the people that he dwelt near dwelt in, we began to see these previews of the presence of God. So for instance, what we just read is something that God said to Moses that Moses was to pass on to Joshua. Moses would soon die here at the tail end of the book of Deuteronomy, but he had lived a full life of some 120 years. God raised him up and God used him to lead the Hebrew people out of Egyptian slavery. For 40 years, God used him to, to lead a, a rambunctious, rebellious people through the wilderness. And now Joshua would succeed Moses and lead the people into the land that the Lord had promised them. You see, the Lord was at work, as he is all throughout the Old Testament, creating a people for himself. And our preview of Christmas from our passage this morning instructs us that the Lord is always with his people. That here we see this, the, the outworkings of this provisional presence of the Lord in the life of, of Moses and now in the life of Joshua and in the lives of the Hebrew people. And that gives us a glimpse, a preview of, an even, of, a, of the even greater ways that the Lord would dwell with his people when Jesus Christ You see, the Old Testament tells, tells us the history of how God would create a people and he would give that people a place, a land, the promised land. A land that actually was analogous to uh, the garden that God placed Adam and Eve in. It's so interesting when we read the Old Testament, the, the language, the description, the, the elements of this promised land 
was to be somewhat reminiscent of their life back in the garden. And, and, yet, and yet, more importantly, uh, n- not just the physicality of that land, but like in the Garden of Eden, where God dwelt with his people and his people dwelt with God, that, that this land would, uh, that this people would have a place, but even more importantly, this people in this place would have the presence of God in their lives. The special presence of God. Not just the everywhere all the time presence, but this relational presence of God. You see, and so even as God used Moses to rescue the people from Egyptian slavery, there's there's no mistake who really did that. Uh, Moses gets his credit, but behind that was the Lord. In Exodus 19, verse 4, the Lord says to Moses and passes that on to the Israelites, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The beauty of the great release from Egyptian slavery and captivity was not just that there would be a people of God and not just so that that people would God would God would have their own land but that people of God in their own land would once again experience something of in a provisional way a transitional way something of the presence of God that Adam and Eve had experienced in the garden that takes us to where we're at with Exodus, I mean, with Deuteronomy 31. For the rest of our moments together this morning, I want to highlight the truth of God's presence, the importance of the truth of God's presence. When we read in verse 6, what we read was, this is what the Lord told Moses to tell to Joshua. And then what we read in verse 8 was what Joshua, I mean, what Moses told Joshua. Now, from a literary standpoint, the editors would probably cut that second portion out. It's redundant. It's, it's, uh, it's unnecessary from a mere literary standpoint. It's already been said in the script or in the text. In verse 6, the Lord says to Moses to tell to Joshua, uh, it, it is, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And then two verses later, we read essentially the same thing. In verse 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Stressing the importance of what's being said by the redundancy, the restatement, we are left with the conclusion that the abiding and the enduring presence of God is absolutely necessary, crucially essential for God's people to function well in life. Jesus hasn't taken on flesh yet at this point 
in the Bible. That's going to be another 1,500 years down the historical trail. The, the arrival of, of, of God in Christ becoming the agent of restoring the presence of God among his people has, yet, has not yet occurred. And yet what we are seeing here is God is present with his people in a real and yet provisional way. It's not yet Christmas but it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You see, we have this preview from Deuteronomy 31, verses 6, 7, and 8, a, a preview of the impact that God's presence can have. This preview informs how we are to live in the presence of God. Look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy 31. He first of all gives some instructions, some commands before he starts issuing some promises. Be strong and courageous. How do you and I, how do we possess strength and courage in our lives? We need that. This world is a dangerous and evil place. He goes on. Not only are we to be strong and courageous, but do not fear or, in, or be in dread of them. How do we overcome fear and dread that confronts our lives? That's a pertinent question, for this world is a frightful and scary place. Or, I didn't read it, but in verse 5, uh, pre what precedes, it says, and the Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. How do we live a life of obedience to the Lord's commands? This world teaches and tempts us to disobey God, to, to think that obedience to God is passe. Or in verse 7, where he says, uh, uh, Then Moses uh, uh, summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all the people of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. How do we live a life that carries out the will of God for our lives? It's important to know the answer to that for this world promotes and prompts us to turn from the will of God in our lives. Or he would to tag on our reading from uh, Hebrews 13 where it says, keep yourselves from the love of money. How do we keep from being consumed with the acquisition of stuff? 
Has it ever fascinated us that, is, that however much stuff we got, we, we're always thinking we need a little bit more? He talks about contentment. So how do we experience contentment in life? This world presents and promises much satisfaction, but this world honestly offers no lasting satisfaction. How do we answer those questions? Well, the answer to each of those questions is the same. Whether it's from the statements in Deuteronomy 31 or it's the statements in Hebrews 13, the, the answer is the same. But, but let me press on before I make explicit the answer. You ought to know the answer by now. If I was to pull out a paper and say this is a pop quiz, that's okay. Or I'm just going to coach us through a bit more here. What's the key to living the way that we are supposed to live? What's the key to having the state of mind to face the challenges of life? What's the key uh, for having the internal fortitude to live this way and not that way, to live a life pleasing to the Lord and not a life displeasing to the Lord? What's the key to maintaining a frame of mind as we are hit in life with unseen obstacles and struggles and difficulties? What's the key to experiencing the emotional stability amid a life of trials and temptation? How do we complete those sentences? What's the key? Or before we give the answer, we press it a little bit further. There are a host of opinions as to how to answer the question. Are we ourselves the key? Do we natively have what it takes to functionally live well in this life? Do I just send you out of here with a pep talk of, you got this? Are you the key? Am I the key? I, well, I speak for myself. I know I ain't the key. I can't even find my keys, but I digress. Is a mere method or a sheer technique the key? This is where we bump into the whole host of range of options of the behavioral scientists who offer an alternative worldview solution to the key as to how one might function well in life. Or is the key something else that this world has to offer? Or could the key be what God told Moses to tell to Joshua and the Israelites? It was the key then, and could it perhaps even be the key this morning? Could we not be given uh, this glimpse, this preview of Christmas, that there's something that is provisionally provided in the old covenant that would be decisively provided in the new covenant, that with the arrival of Jesus is now the arrival of God to be with his people? And, and is it 
not the key that God's presence is the key to how you and I might function well in life? Is God's key the presence to living the way we are supposed to live? Is God's presence the key to having the state of mind that we need to face the challenges of life? Is God's presence the key to having the internal fortitude to live this way and not that way? Is God's presence the key to maintaining a frame of mind that we, when we are, even when we are hit with unforeseen circumstances and obstacles and struggles and difficulties, is not the presence of God in our lives the key to experiencing the emotional stability amid trials and temptations. Is the Lord and his presence necessary or irrelevant to any of those things? Can we do life without him? Well, let me back up. Can we do life well? without him. May we, in our gathering this morning, seek to confess that we can live life well only done through the presence of God in our lives. May we gather this morning convinced and may the Spirit of God give us great confidence in this that, that the same things that God told Moses to tell Joshua and the Israelites, it is the Lord who goes before us. He will be with us and he will not leave us nor forsake us. This is the gift of Christmas. This is the gift of God's presence displayed provisionally before us as a preview in the old covenant but displayed decisively and permanently through the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ you see in the old covenant God's the, the, the arrangements in the old covenant uh, teaches us that God dwelt with his people in and through the tabernacle and then later the temple, and they could safely approach his presence uh, through the sacrifices that they offered. These sacrifices themselves were provisional means for approaching and living um, among the presence of God. That the shedding of the blood of animals taught them that they needed a substitute to approach the Lord. That they needed a substitute to atone for their sins. A sacrifice would need to be offered by the worshiper as a way to remove sin and remove the wrath of God so that they would experience the mercy of God's presence. And those provisional means for experiencing the provisional presence of God are previews given to us in the Old Testament. That doesn't make them unreal by saying they are previews. They are real. 
but they were just a glimpse, a foretaste of a greater reality that through the once for all time sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood cleanses a people from all of their sins. His blood removes from his people all of the, the justice of God's wrath from us. And his blood opens up a way for us to live in and experience the, pleas- the presence of God in our lives. What I mean is this. The health and functionality of our hearts and our souls requires the presence of God. It was built for that. And that can only be returned. The experience of living uh, as the Lord's people with the presence of the Lord in our lives can only be experienced through the shed blood of Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Return to Jesus. Keep turning to Jesus. And the ground of our lives are his abiding presence. When he says to us, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is not a subsidiary thing to living and functioning well. This is a crucial I'll close with a story of a book that I read this summer. It's about a Scotchman named Ernest Gordon. The title that you may be familiar with is the title uh, that it later became uh, a movie called To End All Wars. But the original title of the book was Through the Valley of Kwai. It's set in, the, in World War II. This Scotchman was an officer in the Argyle and, and uh, Suther, Sutherland Highlander Army in, of the Allied Forces in World War II. And uh, he was captured in Burma by the, giant, by the Chinese and was a prisoner of war in the Chinese camp for three years. I, I don't know if you've read anything about the American and Allied servicemen and their experiences in the Japanese prisoner of war camps. But it is horrific. Ernest Gordon and others built uh, the, the bridge over the River Kwai. There's a movie named by that, but it's, it's, it's not factual. Um, It wasn't quite that idyllic. Uh, It was brutal. How does a man endure the brutality of a Japanese prisoner of war camp? Do you got this? Is there a technique that we could strum up that make it all better? Ernest tells the story of 
two fellow prisoner of war men, Dusty and Denty. And the witness that they bore concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. How they lived out the presence of Christ in their lives before earnest. And how through the modeling of their lives and through the sharing of the gospel, Ernest Gordon himself became a follower of Christ. And for the next couple of more years still, as a prisoner of war in such a horrific experience, he lived and thrived and flourished. How do you live and thrive and flourish in a Japanese prisoner of war camp? You've got to be kidding me. That's what the presence of God can do in our hearts and lives. Regardless of our experiences, regardless of of our bodies wasting away, regardless of the hardships and the trials and the difficulties that surround us, regardless of whatever prisoner of war camp we're tossed into, you and I were made to dwell and live and enjoy and flourish in the presence of God. And that's available even this morning to any and all who would turn to Jesus, who would return to Jesus, And who would keep on turning to Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your word. For there is no word like your word. We thank you for the gift of Christmas. The presence of God in Christ by your spirit. And we would pray, Father, that the very point of Christmas, as demonstrated by this preview of Christmas, would radiate in our souls that would sustain us today, this week, and for the rest of our lives, that we would, in the presence of the Lord, know something of the fullness of God's joy in our hearts. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.